Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. It's Lockie here and I have exceptional news uh, for you all. Not only do we have a superb and extremely interesting guest uh, on the podcast today, but also the lovely Charlotte White is taking time out from her hectic foodie festival to join us and do some do some restoration period stuff. How are you, Charlie? I'm all right. Thank you, Lockie. It's nice not to be on the road for a day. It's nice to be in my comfort zone of the 17th century. Well, you say that, but your comfort zone does seem to be on the road. Because last time I saw you, you were an absolute rock star in Oxford at the Foodies Festival. And we were jamming out massively to other rock stars as well. But um, you did look absolutely superb out there. Thank you very much. It's lovely being a travelling showgirl chef. But my goodness, have I got a treat, a delicious treat for you all today. Today, we're going to be joined by Adam Nightingale, who's an author and a performer specialising in history's villains and their legends. You'll find him at the National Civil War Centre in Newark and on stage performing alongside his brother Mark in the 17th Century Show, as well as in the Fighting Nightingales, a band who perform comedic material with a historical slant. I mean, how much does this sound up our street? He's recorded his own podcast series, The 17th Century Tales, featuring the dashing Cavalier General, Prince Rupert of the Rhine. So I simply had to book him for History Hack. Hello, Adam. Hello. Nice to be here. We're so glad to have you joining us today. So we met um, a couple of weekends ago, didn't we, at the Civil War Centre? And you were surrounded by boxes at the time. (laughs) mountains and mountains of cardboard boxes yeah <laughs> what was going does, on does that need explanation yeah of course <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, it's the, it was it was our summer activity called playham um which actually had nothing to do with the civil war it was a, it's a philosophy of free play where you just fill the room full of literally probably a thousand cardboard boxes and cardboard tubes and you know little bits and bobs and the idea is you can make what you want you can add to or take away from anything that someone's previously made and uh and and you can but you can't stick anything together and you can't you know so so it was it was a sort of brainchild of our you know the, the learning team I worked for you know specifically a lady called Donna Hall and and Denise Greeny and and they you know and and it was it was a you know, it was it was a it was let's say it was a two-edged sword it was a fantastic absolutely fantastic thing to observe kids being very creative there were supposed to be no rules but then rules got imposed like please don't knock down that massive <laughs> mountain of cardboard boxes i've taken an hour to put back together again take them out like younger pieces and don't destroy cardboard boxes but other than that do what you like so it was, it was yeah it was a sort of fantastic very successful summer activity um that was absolutely exhausting to reset so but yeah but it was good 
and that's where we met in a, in a room full of cardboard boxes it's not a warehouse it was fantastic you say there was no civil war slump i definitely saw several forts being built and castles. yes yes they were i couldn't verify like what era the forts were from um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, i couldn't hand on heart say they were like civil war forts or sconces Amazing. or what, what have you but yeah well if anyone would know it would be you so let's start <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of Prince Rupert's life. It starts yeah. in quite a dramatic fashion, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and sort of carries on in that vein, really. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's he's the he's the son of uh, German royalty, so and, and English royalty. So he's the son of Prince Fre- Frederick V, the Elector of the Palatine, a German, very powerful Protestant German prince. His mother is Elizabeth, the sister of Charles I, daughter of James I, and he's. He's allowed one year of enjoying the luxury of living the life of a of a royal. He's not he's not heir to the throne. I think he's like third, third or fourth child, and and then his father's embroiled in what turns out to be his father effectively starts what turns out to be the Thirty Years' War. So, which is very very complicated. I'll try and condense it. Which essentially means that the Holy Roman Emperor, um, Habsburg Emperor, makes himself king of Bohemia which alienates a lot of the Protestants. He's a Catholic. So the Protestant princes band together and they persuade Frederick to elect himself king of Bohemia. So you can't have two kings of Bohemia. So it sparks a war. Um, Fred, Frederick, um, Rupert's father, basically, um, you know, he, he, there's a battle called the Battle of the White Mountain, which he's not even at, actually. He doesn't, make, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't arrive at his own battle on time. <laughs> his army's annihilated in, in one hour. And then, uh, you know, the, the, Has, the Habsburg, emperor i think it's like ferdinand ii um, basically orders him out of his kingdom it doesn't doesn't physically punish him but he kicks him out of his kingdom and uh and and, and you know rupert and his parents end up in the hague as kind of exiled penniless by royal standards still rich by our standards um exiled royals and, and then this in, incredible brutal war that lasts three decades you know sort of erupts and consumes him, consumes his early life, really, you know, and and and, and so he's he's born with a a very a very rigid mistrustful hatred of Catholics and 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 this sort of sense that something's been taken away from him and that he needs to get it back and that sort of, that sort of dogs him all his life, really, you know. Gosh, I'm I, I'm, I'm kind of right. I, I, here's yeah. where I show my massive ignorance of all of yeah. this because I mean I, I'm 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 aware of a, a certain there's certainly defenestrations around this time, isn't there? Yeah. There, there? There's that sort of stuff going on. But broadly, this falls between kind of um, the the period when Henry VIII is is having everyone killed and um, Germany is unified for me. So I'm 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 a little well, bit well, yeah. So so sorry, I should have said when he was born. He was born in like 1619. This all sort of and this kicks off I think in 1620. So it's you know. It's the Stuarts are on the throne. James the First on the throne. You know he's he's obviously uh, Prince Rupert's uncle, and and then you know you have you have this this European war that we I mean we don't talk a lot about in England. It's not I mean and and it is possibly if you look at the population at the time probably the most brutal land war Europe ever ever suffered. I think the population of Germany was absolutely so, and it could have been a quick war had not Sweden got involved. And then and then it esc- and Sweden were a massive military power and they had this incredible king, Gustavus Adolphus, who's considered one of the authentic military geniuses of the era. And then it just becomes this thing that escalates and escalates and escalates and kills millions of people and is 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 sort of noted particularly for its brutality and 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 the kind of horror it inflicted on the civilian population. Does that does that sort of 
Yeah, no, it, it, it does. So, I mean, mm. right. So when I got, got invited to come onto this podcast yeah. and, and help host it, I mean, right, Prince Rupert. Okay, yeah. so he's got to be some flouncing royal fop, hasn't he? <laughs> uh, I, I think he, 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 Prince Rupert, what a name, turns up in England, yeah. um, sort of is there around the yeah. Civil War. Um, that's not accurate, though, is it? He's got, he's got some military experience before then. So no. What, well, there was, oh, sorry, there was nothing flouncing about him to start with. I mean, he was, I mean, and the name Rupert has been, I guess it's been a little bit feminized over the, over the decades. And back then, not so much. And the name Rupert, you know, I mean, he was the most famous Rupert of the 17th century. And it was synonymous with a certain type of soldiering, extreme physical toughness. It's a cuddly bear with funny trousers. Yeah. And, 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 and this now. is a tall, long haired. I mean, he was he was he was over six foot by the time he was fifteen, and by by the time he's fifteen, he he, he killed people in war, and and and, th- and this was a tall, yeah, very well dressed, but sort of in, in, you know posh, but phenomenally violent, aggressive man, you know, and 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 he was sort of plunged into the war at his mother's behest, you know, his father, and his education was very military. I mean, he had he had the sort of standard royal education of private tutors and he was he was very good this gets overshadowed by his military achievements but he's very very good at uh he's, he's, a, he's a bit of a polymath so he's, he's phenomenal at languages very good at science um i think he was good at mathematics and and obviously he excelled at martial arts you know he's phenomenal sword fighter very very good shot with a pistol and an outstanding horseman so by, by the time he's 13, his mother, or his father dies, but well, that was an important bit of information I forgot. His father dies of, of a fever when, I think when he's about sort of 11 or 12. And by 13, his, his mother, if you've, got, if, you've got, if you've got sort of a military version of a pushy stage mother, his, uh, his, his mother Elizabeth is that, and she, she wants her children to go into the military. So he's, he's sort of uh, given over to his uncle, who's the Prince of Orange, to fight. And, and he's champing at the bit to fight. He wants to. And his uncle's trying to keep him out of the war. And, and he's at the siege of Rheinberg and he's not allowed to fight. And then there's another siege, the siege of Breda in the Spanish Netherlands. And he sort of kind of on his own recognizance, uh, allies himself to a band of English mercenaries because, you know, a lot, there was not an awful lot going on militarily in England at the time. And so a lot, a lot of aristocrats and gentlemen of fortune went over to Europe and fought in this war just for money. And so he's got this little kind of almost like Dirty Dozen-esque band of sort of English soldiers of fortune. And, uh, and, and, and he just aligns himself with them. And I don't think, he's, I don't think his uncle knew about this. He, 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 he decides he's going to be part of the forlorn hope, which, I mean, you'll know what a forlorn hope is, but it's, it's essentially once you blast a hole in the castle wall, you need some people to go in first. And they're almost likely certainly going to die or just get horribly injured. And it's volunteers only. And, and, and obviously the upshot of doing that is if you're the first through the breach, you survive, you're a hero and you're likely to get promoted. And, and Rupert just, I mean, I think he's 13 when he does this. He, he sort of goes in with a forlorn hope. And, you know, once, once the, you know, and obviously the other side of the wars is going to be sort of lines of musketeers, maybe a cannon ready just to blow your head off. And, and, he, and he sails through it missing all the musket balls, cannonballs, guys next to him are getting like shot, atomized, crippled, and he does a bit of damage and sort of begins to earn this reputation, not only being a ferocious soldier, but of being indestructible, of seeking the kind, basically the hornet's nest of a battle and, 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 and coming out of it, even if he loses, even if, it's, even if his sort of side is decimated without receiving a scratch on him. And that, that's the sort of beginning of this reputation as a teenage soldier that builds throughout the... Uh, that Thirty Years' War and that he brings to England with him 
as as a, as a, as a sort of cavalier fighting for his uncle Charles the First. Gosh, and you know, being being that kind of indestructible, um, un, unshoot downable kind of yeah. force when you are. Yeah, he was. Am I right to say he was about six four? Which yes, is he was not about six, six feet four. Yeah, it's not no, normal no. at that time. No, you know. that's tall now. So, so he stood out and, and sat on a horse as well, you know, so he's, so he's like kind of, I don't know how that would make him at 15 foot tall or something on horseback. Good God. And as for, as for his pedigree, I mean, we've touched on a few members of his family here and this is where you kind of, when you, when you know about the Stuarts, this can sometimes feel like mm. you're sort of trying to explain 30 years of EastEnders to people, <laughs> but his, so his, his grandfather is James II I'm sorry, James the first. James See, the first, even yeah. I'm getting confused. Yeah. And his mother is sister to Charles the first. Yeah. And his uncle is the Prince of Orange in Holland. And, and Charles the first. Exactly. So he's got the royal family at this time is spread across this part of Europe. Like, but, but, also, but, but, also, but also his cousins are the future, sort of Charles II and, and James I. No, James II as well. You see, now so you're he's, doing he's got, it. And they're, they're kids at the moment. They're, they're, they're like little children. Amazing. Gosh. Yeah. So, so we're going to go a bit rogue. Yeah. And we're not going to talk about Rupert's life from start to finish. We're not going along yeah. the chronological route here. Um, we're going we're gonna to go to the Civil War now. The um, yeah. What's um, always hilariously called the English Civil War. Um, We're not going to go from start to finish, but instead we're going to talk about his successful campaigns and his perhaps not so successful ones. (laughs) So I want to start with the good stuff. What did Prince Rupert get right when he comes over? Well, um, can I, can I, um, if I can just sort of just, just travel back just to explain why he's in the Civil War is because he, he gets taken prisoner at a battle called the Battle of Lotho. Um, and he's a prisoner for three years in an Austrian castle, and and it's Charles the First really that negotiates his release. So so in, in the sort of preliminary lead up to the civil war, he wants his best soldiers, and and he knows his nephew's reputation, and they've met a couple of times, and he, he loves his nephew, and so he negotiates the release, and so Rupert comes over, and he's, they, they, they want to get rid of him actually, they don't want him there in <laughs> in, in in Lynn's castle because um, people are constantly trying to fight their way to rescue him because obviously he's a, he's a valuable commander. Um, and so once his and his negotiation is released on, on on the understanding that he gives his word that he's not going to fight against the Holy Roman Emperor, and he gives his word and he keeps it for the rest of his life, mm. never fights against them, despite many many temptations to you later, and then comes over and and for the I would say for the first half of the Civil War he's probably like the best soldier on any battlefield, and the thing that he brought to the table were these um, radical cavalry tactics that he didn't he didn't invent; they were Gustavus Adolphus's, but he kind of refined. And, and, and the sort of the way a cavalry um, charge would work prior to Gustavus Adolphus is you would approach in a line of horses with your pistols drawn, fire your pistols at a distance, and then maybe follow it up with a, with a sort of a more spirited charge with horses. And he just thought, well, that, that just takes the impact out of the cavalry charge. So we'll, we'll charge headlong in. I'll be at the front, obviously, because I'm Prince Rupert, and, and, and in a sort of almost like a triangular wedge. We'll crash into our enemies, then we'll fire our pistols at point blank range and then go to work with our swords. And obviously, you know, the risk is higher, but the, the, the kind of reward is greater in terms of carnage reaped on your enemies. And he does this for the first time uh, in, in outside of Worcester, uh, a place called Powick Bridge. And it's, it's, it's a fight. It's called the Battle of Powick Bridge, but it's a glorified skirmish that lasted a quarter of an hour. 
<laughs> and uh, and I think he's defending the rear guard of um, Cavalier, a Cavalier train, um, you know, uh, train of horses, obviously, and and he, and I think he's protecting like some some you know, some, some money or, or or like or like some kind of mold that made money, the, the mint, and and he just he just sort of launches this attack at the Cavaliers, and they scatter. They don't they don't know what's hit them, and all of a sudden, you know, this sort of ripples of this this soldier's kind of effective cavalry tactics you know sort of sort of uh, go throughout you know the roundheads and they're, and they're afraid of him every, every time he's on a battle it's, it's 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 a cause for concern and he follows that up with uh, an incredible cavalry charge the first big battle the first big the, the official battle uh, you know of, of, of the civil war edge hill with this incredible cavalry charge where he kind of takes out the uh the roundhead cavalry and that and then we're going to slightly dip into the sort of things he did wrong here because what he does is he 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 plows through the enemy, and then his horses carry on going, and you know, and he loses 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 control of his men. They they kind of they, they ride for miles into the next field, then they stop, then they go back, then they spot a baggage train, then they loot that, then they go back to the battle, assuming that they've won, and not not realizing that the uh, roundhead victory infantry have done quite a good job uh, in, in in sort of uh, the king's colours have been captured. And so he kind of retrieves the king's colours, and then and then the battle comes to an end, and it's basically a draw. You know, both sides in, in Edge Hill have killed pretty much exactly the same amount of people. They both claim victory, and um, you know, but but it doesn't hurt his reputation because he's done his bit, even though he's kind of you know kind of uh, he takes Bristol. You know, he's very good at taking cities. You know, he takes Bristol. He's fighting his way into Bristol, and his horse gets. Sh this is horrible if you like animals. His horse gets shot through the eyeball. Um, and he carries on fighting his way to Bristol on foot, and then they bring him another horse, and he takes Bristol. He and his, his big thing. I mean, I'm, I'm I work in Newark, so we, we have to sort of highlight this. But it is seen by many military historians as the kind of apex of his achievement. Newark, um, which was the only royalist town in the East Midlands, uh, and very important because of where it lay on the North Road and the Great um, and the Old Foss Way, these two roads that connected the country, was surrounded by in, in in 1644 an army of about 6000 and and he he makes this incredible dash from chester to newark barely letting his army sleep with a sort of modestly sized force accumulating riders as he goes stopping off on loyal towns uh, manages to sort of get to the top of the only hill in newark and and the strange thing is like the um the, the leader of the besieging forces a man called sir john meldrum knew he was coming but didn't put lookouts on the hill because he didn't think he could get there quick enough from Chester. So he just he just makes his fatal error. <sighs> Rupert turns up and then plows into them, and then sort of demolishes, you know, the, the the besieging army. And and then and then he's just this phenomenally magnanimous victor because he disarms them of their sort of firearms and pikes, uh, gives these weapons to the defenders of Newark, but allows the officers to keep their swords, keep their colours and leave with their honour intact. And, and, and there's a report, this is contradicted by the governor of Nottingham, who said he didn't do this, but yeah, there are reports of him slapping soldiers with the flat of his sword who were seen looting prisoners and just like, rebuking them and things like that. So that's Rupert at his best in a nutshell. These are the things that he did. Very aggressive, you know, just drove his men, had these incredible cavalry tactics and could be very, very honourable and magnanimous in victory. So, but if he was just that, he wouldn't be as interesting.
That charge down from from Chester. This was this was a matter of only a few days, wasn't it? It was. A I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I don't know why I've got in my head that it was either four or eight days. I, mean, I, I think one. it was about nine. I think it was nine days. There you go. Yeah. So it was it was very quick, and that he had he had people um, going out in front of his troops yeah. and cutting um, cutting down the hedgerows so that when they came by, they could just plow through in this straight line oh, i didn't know that that's new to me that was that was our yeah. that was our tour guide in newark that's ah, why you always do the walking tour yeah. with an expert guide yeah. <laughs> but also yeah but also i mean he, he marched his soldiers through the night and and there's and there's a wonderful and we've got it we've got it at the museum there's this wonderful pamphlet uh, it's an anonymous officer who just gives gives a, a first-hand account of rupert fighting mm-hmm. and the fact that he 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 had a, he had an army of six thousand. I think he 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 arrived on top of Beacon Hill with four hundred men, and just couldn't be bothered to wait for the rest of them. So he thought, well, let's just let's just attack them now, see what happens. And and he and he did a, a version in miniature of what he did at Edge Hill. He got separated from his own soldiers in the cavalry charge, and they have this um, incredible description of uh, three three roundhead cavalrymen converging on him. And and this is a point, many many points where he came within a hair's breadth of getting killed. And he kills one himself. He runs him through with his sword, we're told, in this pamphlet. And then he, he was, I mean, he, he commanded phenomenal loyalty in, in, in the soldiers underneath him. And so there were two soldiers, an Irish soldier called O'Brien and a Frenchman that pops up again in his life, I think called Monsieur uh, Mortain or something like that. And Monsieur Mortain shoots the, the second cavalier out of his saddle. And then this is very ambiguously worded. But the third cav- roundhead, sorry, and the third roundhead gets behind him and he's about to kind of grab Prince Rupert by the cloak and pull him off his horse. And then it said, and then it said this, this, this soldier O'Brien comes up with a sword drawn and almost chops the man's hand off, which you can, you can, you can sort of, if we're with schools, I let them decide like, like sort of, uh, you know, what you, that means that he missed his hand by a hair's whisker. Or if he almost chopped his hand off, he hacked through the wrist and, and the man's hand would have been swinging from a, a bit of flesh, like a door hinge. Which is which is the, the version I, I I prefer, but but, he, but either way he, he kind of, he survives when he should have died. He takes these incredible risks and, and they pay off up to this point in the war. Joe, you know it's starting to sound like a combination of sharp yeah. Lord Flashheart yeah. and I don't know I don't know Conan or something like that. Some, some kind of... I'll, go, I'll go with Conan. I think he's weirdly he's more like he's more like Conan. There was he was he wasn't like. A massive hedonist like Flashman, and obviously he was posh. Conan's not posh, but Conan, there was a grimness to Conan, a humorlessness, and, and a love of the fight. Despised, probably despised physical weakness. Um, would would call out anybody he thought was an idiot, apart from the king, you know. And that that was his, that was his one sort of the one line he he, he didn't want to cross, you know. Yeah, so I think he's like call it posh Conan, With a better <laughs> and he's Germanic as well, you know, yeah, posh Conan. Um, okay, so he's an absolute bally hero. Uh, <laughs> wh- where could it possibly go wrong? Uh, for the next two years, he does everything wrong, more or less. Um, he, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the next the next big thing, the next big event in his life is the Battle of Master Moore. So I guess drunk on victory, he, he goes from, uh, I think there's, there's a few things he does in between, but he goes from um, his victory at Newark and then his next significant order from the king is to go and relieve the siege of York. Now, York is is, is a vital part of, of the kingdom for the king because a lot of his support is, is in the north of England. And, and, and if York falls, the north falls. And so he goes up there with his army 
chases the roundheads away from York quite easily. But then they 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 sort of but then an army, an army is is is, is sort of gathering six miles away from York, and it's a coalition of Scots who then Scots Presbyterian soldiers who've entered the war. And the English, and present among them is Oliver Cromwell, who he's never fought. This is the first time he'll fight Oliver Cromwell. And Sir Thomas Fairfax, you know, these rising stars in the in in in, in there. And and and, and the army's ten thousand stronger than 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 Prince Rupert. Rupert's got, I think, eighteen thousand men, they've got twenty-eight thousand. And the problem with Rupert is he, he didn't play well with others. And so he has to share the <laughs> command with a man called William Cavendish, who by all accounts and purposes was a lovely man, incredibly rich, raised his own army, wasn't an experienced soldier. And he, and, he, and, he, and he deferred all of his military decisions to a man called James King, who Prince Rupert hated, you know, because because he, he felt that Prince, he, they fought together in the Thirty Years' War in a battle called Blotho, which resulted in Prince Rupert's capture. And Rupert felt that, you know, King had fled the battlefield and left him to be captured. And so these guys hate each other. Um, Rupert wants to launch a quick, decisive attack. But the problem with the soldiers in York is that they're all drunk. You know, they've been celebrating uh, the relief of York. They're drunk. They turn up late to the rendezvous, hung over. So half, half the army is hung over. Um, R- Rupert assumes that he's in command. Uh, William Cavendish assumes he's in command. He's quite happy to defer to Rupert if Rupert's not rude to him, but Rupert is rude to him. And also, he has this really ambiguously worded letter. You have to, I, I haven't got it to read, but if you read the letter from the king to Rupert, it makes no sense. You don't know what he's asking Rupert to do. He's, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I can't even sort of condense it and paraphrase it. But so Rupert tries to make sense of this, this ridiculously convoluted set of orders from the king. And then turns up to fight this battle. And, and, and all of this, you know, you could argue that, that, you know, the other people are incompetent. But then Rupert displays massive incompetence by just sort of relaxing. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's, it, it's about sort of about five, six o'clock. He relaxes. He, he sort of takes a lot of his guards off guard. There's, there's a roundhead army like on the other side of this field. And his, his assumption is, well, no one's going to attack us until the morning. And then... As if as if as if, as if as if as if nature's sort of ringing ringing the bell. There's this massive thunderstorm, and then the roundheads attack, take Rupert completely by surprise. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, I mean, the, the, the Cavaliers, they, 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 you know, they, they sort of do, they do some stuff, you know, kind of reasonably well on the battlefield, but ultimately they're overwhelmed. Um, Rupert's cavalry clashes with Cromwell's cavalry for the first time, and, and Rupert's cavalry is destroyed. Rupert's on horse. He's not present on the battlefield to kind of give any kind of coherent instructions. And in the space of two hours, um, his army is scattered 
and annihilated and 4,000 of his soldiers are dead. Um, and, and he's scrabbling around in Beanfield trying to find his horse and get away. Um, and I, I, I we look at the other thing Rupert did or was reputed to have done. He, he, he did massacre people from time to time. Um, so, so, so sort of later on in the just, war, just from he, time to time. I mean, from, well, we I have to do. say from time to time because like it's everyone massacred massacre. people. Yeah, every yeah, it was one a tiny massacre. Um, other people massacred. I would say Cromwell massacred more people, um, but Rupert's reputation was as a butcher, unfairly, purely because he'd, he'd learnt his trade in the Thirty Years' War, and that that was typified by massacres. And so he was he was wrongly. Um, I think he he did set Birmingham on fire, and he was wrongly sort of you know I think I think he was he was he was wrongly wrongly accused in pamphlet form of massacring the civilian population, but everyone agrees that he he, he visited he visited sort of horrible retribution on Leicester. He hated Leicester for for reasons we can go into if you want to, but he he attacked Leicester in the latter stages of the Civil War and massacred a lot of civilians, and and even 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 sort of Charles Spencer, who's Rupert Prince Rupert's biggest fanboy. Even he in his book on Rupert has to admit, yeah, he probably went a little bit too far there and like killed, you know, I mean, I killed nuns and things like that, you know. So, yeah, so he was prone to being occasionally very, very ruthless. I think we need to, we do need to just, but just in case we have any listeners in Leicester. Yeah. Why did he hate Leicester? Well, he hated Leicester for a couple of reasons. When he first arrived in England, he he was trying to find the king, which was a little bit difficult. So he he arrived in Tynemouth. Uh, he probably wasn't in a very good mood because his a horse threw him and he dislocated his shoulder, you know, and then had it popped back in by his brother. So that's, that's how tough he was. Rode down to Nottingham, um, where the king had obviously raised his standard. Um, the king wasn't there. The king was supposed to be in Leicester, but wasn't in the town. He was in an abbey. And so something a little bit weird. And, 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 and at some point, he writes a letter to, to Leicester demanding that they, they stump up money to help the, the war effort and threatens them. And then they go and, not surprisingly, they go and throw in with Parliament. And so, so there's all these reasons. Like he felt that they betrayed the king. You know, they, 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 they turned on him. They hadn't done what he ordered them to. So when he gets the chance, I mean, I don't know what was going in his head, if this, this was what fueled it or just Leicester was the nearest, you know, because the reason for attacking Leicester was to draw the besieging army that was surrounding Oxford in the last stage of what was to draw it away from, from, from Oxford so that the king could get away. And, and he chooses Leicester and he destroy you know i mean he he he, he i mean what what he does is despicable in leicester and and it's and if you're a Rupert, you know if you're a, you know if you're a fan of rupert like mine it's the kind of it's the one unambiguous black mark against him that he that he massacres people and you know and, and, and the best you can say is everyone was massacring people which is like not really a defense you know it's, it's a historically contextual uh, you know but 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 you know nowadays it's you know a massacre is a massacre isn't it i guess it's it's very hard yeah. to to look at these times especially the yeah. times of yeah, yeah, yeah. war and it, especially with yeah. this, this early modern kind of warfare this is still yeah. this yeah. isn't sort of the the kind of later that there were these awful things that would happen just clean almost cleaning up after hmm. after a big battle that sort of approach like yeah. right you guys lost but, but ev- yeah and ev- everyone was guilty of it you know yeah. both, both sides did it you know and um, and Rupert did it, but but not but in his defence, not as much as he was credited to do. He didn't really even do it in the in, in, in the Thirty Years' War when there was a real license to do it. Then you know, there's in, no there's no real. It's it's awful because you, when you when you mm. sort of 
you want to you want to kind of justify it there's there's no there's no justification for it but going back just one phase is this is Leicester in the aftermath of Marston Moor just in terms of yeah it is it is after Marston Moor but the weird weird thing about Marston Moor is you you think that I mean this is when Rupert's halo really starts to slip Mm. and he starts to and, and and the fact that he's insulted and alienated so many people at the first half of the war, when he when he's he's essentially the the, the sort of apex soldier, yeah. comes back to haunt him, you know. And so he 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 just starts. He doesn't lose all the time, but he, he has this sort of succession of, of 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 losses and disgraces, and 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 his enemies sort of converge on him and, and, and kind of destroy him effectively politically. But yeah, it's, it's definitely after Master Moore. But bizarrely, after Master Moore, he's given command of the whole army. Up to that point, he's command of the, the cavalry, the horse, and he's given overall command, you know. Um, and and so, you know, yeah. Um, and but, but I suppose I suppose the big the biggest thing that befalls him is the big falling out with the king, because mm. um, the king effectively breaks faith with him. And 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 there's a. I mean, do you want me to go into that or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because um, and and that's that's really the kind of that's the really the fall of Rupert this at this phase in his life. Because uh, as long as he's winning, he's not always listened to. That's the thing. I mean, there's there's a, there's a school of thought that he could have ended the civil war at the beginning because after after Edge Hill, he he, he recommends to the king an immediate sort of uh, march on London, and the king dithers, and then you know um, London sort of galvanizes its defenses, and by the time he comes around to Rupert's point of view, mm. it's too late. London's properly defended by the militia. And he had that all the way through his career. People didn't listen to him. And, and his big enemy was a, was a, a man called uh, George Digby, who was an advisor to the king, a favourite of the king's wife, uh, Queen Henrietta Maria. And, and, and him and Rupert absolutely despised each other. And, and Rupert's downfall really was he was he'd taken Bristol at the beginning of the Civil War. And then, he, and then he sort of ordered to defend Bristol, because at this point, all of the towns and ports that are loyal to the king after the Battle of Naseby, yeah. So Naseby is the big defeat. He's, sorry, we completely missed Naseby out. Um, yeah, the, the king's forces after Master Moore, you have the, the follow-up battle of Naseby, where this time Rupert and the king on the battlefield are fighting um, the new model army. So, so the army's reorganised um, after Master Moore and given, you know, Thomas Fairfax and Oliver Cromwell given complete control over how they organise, recruit and train and pay the army. And so you have this Puritan, drilled, disciplined army. Mm-hmm. And uh, Prince Rupert, to, be, to, 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 to give him credit, he doesn't want to fight them um, initially. Um, and, and, and he's overruled, he's countermanded by the king, he's got Digby whispering in his ear going, no, fight them, defeat them quickly. And, and the army's annihilated and, and, and the king can't put another army in the field at this point. So all he's got left uh, are hopes for a miracle because he's the divinely uh, anointed king of England. And he can expect that from his own point of view and towns and garrisons that are kind of loyal to the king. And they're just getting snuffed out after Naseby one by one. They're falling. And the only port available to the king is Bristol. So Rupert's given the port to defend. But he's taken Bristol and he knows that the defences are weak. And also the plague breaks out in Bristol. So his soldiers, there's a, there's a problem that his soldiers are going to die of the plague. So, so he's given this horrible, horrible sort of choice where he's offered terms of surrender by Thomas Fairfax. And the terms of surrender are pretty much exactly the ones he offered his enemies at the Siege of Newark. It's like, you can leave with your army, we'll take your firearms, you can keep your swords, you can keep your honour, and we will live to fight another day. So, so to him, it's a pragmatic decision. We surrender Bristol to live to fight another day because if we stay here we're going to get massacred or we'll die of the plague and so he leaves but at this point his enemies have been working on the king and they convince the king that Rupert has surrendered it out of cowardice and that's kind of hard to believe so they say well 
no, no, he 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 took a bribe of eight eight was I'm not sure if it was eight hundred or eight thousand gold coins. So he's betrayed you, and the king believes it. And 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 when Rupert sort of meets the king in Oxford, he's placed under house arrest, and he's like kind of a little bit bemused about this. And and then the, and then Digby whisks the king away, and Prince Rupert, being Prince Rupert, he just decides, well, I don't want to be under house arrest, and no one stops him. So he sort of leaves leaves Oxford looking for the king for a reckoning because the king orders him sort of out of the country. He, want, he wants to banish him. And, and the king and, and Rupert kind of follows the king to Newark. He's literally fighting his way across the East Midlands for a reckoning with the king. And so the king's found in, in, in Newark and, and, and Rupert turns up completely uninvited with 120 armed men. Martin, this, this, this is a weird bit if you live in Newark marches into the governor's house where the king's staying, which until a few months ago was a Greg's. It was just like Tudor building. It was a Greg's sandwich <laughs> shop. And so whenever we did whenever we did tours with schools, you know, just we just we, it was it was I mean it, it, was a, it was it was a real bit of kind of learning hackery because always make it out like we said this joke the first time. Go, hey look it's a Greg's he's, he's, he's like the king, you know, they interrupt inter- inter- the king eat this sausage roll and beans and things like that. And and but it's not a Greg's anymore, is which is a shame. And and but he he marches into this he marches into this building and they, and they have this stand up blazing right I mean he's he's I mean he, he abandons all protocol he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't washed he hasn't changed his clothing and he walks he interrupts the king while he's while he's eating and demands a reckoning demands he be put put on trial for court martial yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and he's acquitted he's acquitted of you know treachery and cowardice he's found guilty of having bad judgment as a commander which which he doesn't like he's not he's not satisfied with that and, and he's willing to let things lie but then the king sacks the governor of newark which is one of rupert's best friends and close allies so that that prompts another another trip to greg's another kind of marching into the the building another interruption of the king to demand why his 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 friend's been sacked um and he's brought his he's brought his sort of henchmen with him and that, i'm not even sure digby's there at this time but digby's followers are there and swords are drawn in the king's presence there's almost this massive carve up um in the presence of the king and then the king loses his temper and cooler heads prevail and rupert sort of backs off a little bit and then leaves, he comes in with 120 people. And this says a lot about Rupert, leaves with 300. <laughs> and then and then is sort of sort of forgiven by the king. They reconcile properly later on. But that's effectively the end of his military career. You know, he's present at Oxford when Oxford surrenders. And then he, he has to leave the country. You know, every, everyone wants him gone out of the country. And he leaves the country. And that's the end of the Civil War. And he never sees the king again. Obviously, we know what happens to the king. And, you know, and, and that was heartbreaking for him to not be in England and, and learn later on. That the king has been beheaded, you know. So that, that's 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 the negative dark Gosh. side I mean, of Rupert. He's mm. he's far he's clearly far from perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. His his personality and his you know his performance in the military. Um, does his personality give him pros and cons as a as a leader of men? Yeah, def- definitely. He he. Um, I think he led from the front, which is problematic. His men loved him. I think that's important to say. His men were fanatically devoted to him. I think if you were below him and you were you were a military person, he was he was the best person you could you could serve. And 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 and, and wherever he went in his subsequent adventures after the after the civil wars, his men followed him. And and sadly, you know, they they kind of one by one died and were killed or were drowned in various adventures he went on. Um, but they were all fanatically anyone. I think it was because he was young as well, and he and he knew his trade. He he, he there was no diplomacy in him. He, he he wasn't a politician, and and he would and if he thought someone was an idiot, he would tell them. 
um, and 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 also, I mean, he and and he didn't he didn't he didn't have sort of Cromwell's ability to stand back and coordinate battle, which was a, which was a fault. So yeah. he had to be he had to be sort of front and center of the fighting, which, which is problematic if you're if you're a general, you know. So it worked it worked up to a point, but then he could be out fought, not yeah. normally out fought. Cromwell out fought him. And 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 he, and he and he and he could never maintain the discipline of his army at crucial like moments. Like he he on more than one occasion at Naseby. Mm. I mean, what he did at Naseby, even though he lost the battle, was extraordinary because he he launched a successful cavalry charge uphill. Yeah. And 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 sort of decimated. I think it was the right wing of of the new model army's cavalry. And then did his normal thing of rode around the back of the battlefield, looted the baggage train, assumed that there were no more cavalry to be dealt with and there were reserves held that were kind of released into the battle while he was off the battlefield and then when he came back it was even worse yeah. than Edge Hill because the army was in complete disarray and the king came with a hair's whisker of being captured himself so so that I mean those those were his faults and, and a sort of and, and a sort of ruthlessness as well when it suited him he's very I don't know if he was I don't know if phlegmatic's the right word but depending on what side of the bed he got out of he could be very magnanimous or he could kill you where you stood, you know, <laughs> if it was expedient for him to do so, you know. Gosh, I mean, I, just to backtrack in in you know, his performance in the war and when things start going wrong for him yeah. after after Marston Moore, we've got to address the elephant or the standard poodle <laughs> in the room. Could the sort of the his downfall if we're going to call it that, be attributed to the loss of a talisman, a brave, good boy at Masternor. So if you're, if, you're a, if you're a Puritan pamphlet writer, definitely. Um, yeah, you're talking about Boy the Dog, you know, the, the sort of Civil War wonderhound, you know, um, and his, his relationship with Boy. He got Boy as a present. Boy, boy was, no one quite really knows what Boy was. Boy was a dog, obviously, we know that, but he was half poodle. Again, like Rupert, is what you were saying earlier about Rupert not being particularly macho. Nay, neither, neither, neither poodles aren't considered like up there with Rottweilers and like pit bulls, you know, as, as the great attack dogs of history. But, but this one was, I mean, this, this was a, a hunting poodle. Uh, that was crossbred with some kind of fighting dog. We don't know what, probably a mastiff. So although he might have been very prettified, we know that he could rip the throat out of a stag because in between battles, when Rupert wants to like relax from fighting, he'd go out and kill an animal. You know, so he'd go out and like, shoot a stag, and he'd deliberately wing the stag and then unleash boy to take, you know, and and, and I, I think wherever he was, he took, I don't think dog, I mean, there's, there's pictures that show it, the, the dog fighting battles. I'm not sure that's accurate. I'm not sure the dog ever participated in a battle. But where, but, but you know, if you didn't, if you couldn't pick Rupert out in a crowd because he was like a giant, you know, if you look for an enormous, um, foppish-looking dog alongside him, you'd know who he was. And because he didn't, because he never lost in the Civil War up to, you know, like the middle of of, of the fighting, and and because he seemed to constantly be in the center of, of of the fiercest parts of the fighting and never get injured in fact the only injury he received in the civil war was a grazed hand at newark when a pistol ball rips his glove and just sort of kind of glances off his hand that's it and and so there was a, a very very famous uh, pamphlet written called observations on prince rupert's white dog called boy where they put forth the foot you know the theory that he is uh, a warlock himself and that the dog is, is is a familiar. It was a kind of white witch that turned herself into a dog and, and gave him powers 
like or, or you know just sort of gave them the power of indestructibility there are other powers like it could turn invisible sniff out treasure it could detect traitors it could fly and it could literally <laughs> swallow musket balls that were fired at him which was category this proved when he got shot dead at the battle of master moor the dog that is not yeah. prince rupert yeah so, so prince rupert is the most famous casualty of master moor and when we do we do anything to do with prince rupert uh, uh, with school groups um, they couldn't give a monkeys about the 4,000 people killed Master Moore. But when you mentioned the dog died, it's like people just lose, lose their, yeah. Lose, I'm, yeah, I'm lose, still not over their it. Liquid from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's still fresh to me. Yeah, but he's a vicious dog. He's still fighting. He was, he was like, he was like the dog equivalent of his master. So it's, it's yeah. So, so, so yeah. Uh, um, so there is a school of thought, you know, that, that, that once you, once you, once you remove that, he starts to lose, but. I don't know. I'll just leave that one hanging. Just, just that's true or not? I know, I know exactly what you mean because whenever we do the battlefields, we talk about thousands of men yeah. being killed, you know, yeah. and 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 then all of a sudden, a, a, a leftover mine explodes in the 1950s and kills a cow, and your entire yeah. group group goes, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, horses as well. I mean, the Civil War is rough on horses; it really is. And 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 weirdly enough, um, like cavalry soldiers didn't seem to have the same sentimental attachments to their horses because they just they went through them like underpants mm. you know and it was just uh yeah and so but, but yeah people, people get upset about you know the deaths of horses more than they do about the deaths of people but you know the horse, horses didn't ask to be war horses today but, but i think i think i think rupert's dog was 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 aggressive by nature and loved to fight all right let's let's go move things on a little bit um what was what was rupert's relationship with um charles the king in exile because i mean he, he came back to england after well at the restoration yeah didn't he um, <clears throat> so was was he part of the court and what how were things he, yeah he, he was he was part of the court. his his, his i think he was all, he was always loyal um he was loyal to charles the first even even though he fell out with it and he was always loyal to charles the second and and, and james the duke of york uh, even when he disagreed with them, and he did disagree with them, and 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 they, and they had fallings out, they reconciled, but there was always that kind of there was always that thread that sort of tied them together. Um, it, it, it's interesting with Charles II because Charles II looked up to Rupert because Rupert was older at a certain point, but then when he became king, obviously he had to be king, and so so there's this sort of shift, there's this shift in sort of power, obviously, and 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 shift in adoration, you know, because he's 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 not he's not he's not looking up to his elder cousin anymore. He's the king. And, and Rupert, although he's his cousin, has certain liberties, is his subordinate and, and needs to obey him. And, and, and they had a testy relationship in exile because all the royals ended up in Saint-Germain, you know, um, uh, you know, being being sort of, you know, basically the, the, the kind of guests of the French royal family. Because just to complicate like the family trees even more, um, <clears throat> Rupert's aunt was Queen Henrietta Maria, who I think was a sister of Louis XIV. And so 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 they're there. But. They're not really welcome guests, it has to be said, because they're constantly falling out, fighting each other. Rupert, the, mo- the moment he sort of gets back to Saint-Germain after the wars, he finds Digby, who's betrayed him, come, tries to fight a duel, and tries to kill him in a duel. But Henrietta Maria intervenes, not allowed to do that. And, and I think, I think, his, I think his, probably his, his relationship with Rupert was the most strained before the Restoration, when during the Second Civil War, when fighting resumes, when King Charles is a prisoner of the Roundheads, but still manages to start a war from his prison cell. Rupert's contribution is to, um, you know, command a, a, a small fleet, when I say small, about eight ships, mm. and basically sort of try and plunder parliamentarian shipping um, kind of around the Mediterranean, Portuguese coast. 
and, and this this is a, a disastrous mission. Uh, he never really kind of accrues any sort of uh, you know wealth uh, for the king um, because he's dogged and pursued by the parliamentarian navy, which is actually quite capable and led by this man. Uh, I think it's kind of Robert Blake, who you know, who's a great, great sort of uh, admiral at the time, and he, and he sort of hounded into the North Atlantic, and and then and then he, and then he's beset by two storms, uh, one of which sinks his uh, sinks sinks his sort of flagship, if you like, uh, drowns three hundred and thirty of his men, and all the money that they've accrued goes to the bottom of the ocean, and then there's a second storm later that sinks another ship. And drowns his brother, and we t- we talk about the relationship between like Rupert and his dog, but the real fundamental relationship is between him and his brother Prince Maurice. Um, and so the drowning of his brother really kind of affects him in a way that I think even even the death of his uncle uh, didn't. And, and and he sort of limps back into port with two ships, a little bit of money, and they literally have to sell the cannons on their boats to kind of scrape together. And to be honest, like Charles Charles II, as he is in exile was disgusted with this and it, and it created i think it created a bit of distance between the two which which is largely forgiven and forgotten when 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 you know Charles comes back and there's the restoration and Rupert sort of follows him mm-hmm. and they and they're sort of fairly tight for a while i think you know and and th- there are no wars being fought that will come you know and and you know Rupert sort of tends to devote himself to sort of scientific endeavor he's one of the founder members of the royal society he's the third founder member yeah. and and you know, and, and and the king has that honeymoon period, yeah. and you know, Rupert and the king are getting on pretty well. But 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 that bond would never break. You know, Rupert's yeah. always going to be always going to be loyal. Um, he's always going to put his own considerations. You know, he's going he's he's going to part. He'll say what he thinks, but he, he'll always knuckle under and obey his king. You know, so that, that's Rupert. I mean, he's fanatically loyal to the to the royal line. And he lives a decent life, doesn't he, in the, the Restoration? He um, he becomes an admiral as well as being this kind of polymath. Yeah. Genius. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's a pretty good admiral as well. And that, that's, that's, the, that's the part. I mean, he fights the Dutch in the Second and Third Anglo-Dutch Wars, which, which England lose. But that's not necessarily his fault. And, you know, if you sort of, if you sort of ranking him against uh, great commanders, he's, He's no match for Cromwell. He's chased out of, you know, he, you know, he's chased into the North Atlantic by Robert Blake. But he he actually managed at one point to defeat, as a, I, my pronunciation is probably awful, but Admiral uh, De Reuter. I think I think I, that's probably yeah, that's right. uh, any, any 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 Dutch listeners, please forgive my mispronunciation. <laughs> that's how we say yeah. it. We say De Reuter. Yeah, but but he, but he even manages to defeat him, and, and and this man is considered like you know one of the, the greatest um, admirals you know kind of in, in in sort of maritime martial history and even defeats him uh, in, in a battle called the St James's Day battle you know and and so so he's he's a good he's a good sea admiral um he's a terrific scientist um still not a politician still upsets people you know things like that and, and but but yeah I think, I think the restoration was kind of a a good time for him on many levels but he's still you know pankering after his homeland Mm-hmm. He doesn't really get the money or the lands that he wants, even even when the Thirty Years' War is over, because his elder brother Charles Lewis doesn't like him <laughs> and sort of blocks him a little bit, you know. And 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 so, so I think he lives on, on many levels according to his own sort of military um, standards and his own sort of standards of, of, of kind of where his family should be and the 
sort of political landscape of, of Europe. He lives a frustrated life until the very end when he just he knows he's too old to fight and he's not going to get these things. And, and then he achieves a sort of contentment in his in his sort of later years. But yeah, I mean, by certainly by the standards of the time, if you can, you know, for a soldier mm. uh, in Restoration England, I would say he was a reasonably decent man and and and, and probably less, you know, he, was, he wasn't given to the kind of profligate nature of the age in the, in the way that a lot of others were, especially his cousin, the king. You know, he, he wasn't he wasn't Charles II with kind of revolving doors you know, in his bedroom and things like that. You know? But he's good with the ladies. He is good with the ladies, our Prince Rupert. This is an interesting one for Freudians. He's good with the ladies, but he's not fighting. That's the interesting thing. When, <laughs> when, he's, when he's engaged in war, he has no interest. He, you know, he's, he's good with the ladies in peacetime. So, so the, the first sort of significant romance is when he's a prisoner in Lint's castle. He's got nothing to do, you know, because his, his prison's lovely. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind being like a, a sort of a prisoner of war if you get a whole castle to yourself. Uh, you, you get you get access to this lovely library. Uh, you get you get a tennis court. He's a very good tennis player, by the way. And uh, and then and then you you, you have this um, absolutely beautiful um, Catholic German daughter of the jailer interested in you, with the, with the sort of tacit consent of a dad. You know, <laughs> so, so that that was that was the first. And, and then you know, like the the other two significant sort of uh, loves of his life are Francis Bard and, and forgive me, I can't remember when he when he. He, he kind of hooks up with her, but but her, but her father, Henry Bard, was a soldier that he fought with. I mean, his, her father Henry Bard. I only learned this the other day. Her father, he was a one-armed man who was the. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean you got to mitigate this about the fact that it was the sacking of Leicester. But he was the first at the scaling ladders as a one-armed man at the <laughs> siege of Leicester, and so so he sort of grew up. You know, I mean, he he, he you know. Rupert knew Henry. Henry Bard knew his daughter, and then sort of had had a had a you know, had a child with Francis Bard and then kind of cruelly chucks her over um, for an actress. So, so he just, he, it's the restoration cliche, he ends up with an actress called Peg Hughes. And, 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 that, and that's the sort of last love of his life. And he has a, has a daughter called Ruperta and, uh, and, and then sort of, you know, looks after, make sure that she's, she's well provisioned. Um, but she's got massive gambling problems. <laughs> any, any money he leaves her, she sort of fritters away. <laughs> and um, and yeah, and, and but 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 you know, Francis Bard's looked after by Rupert's sister. I mean, Rupert's sister was very fond of Francis Bard and, and her son Dudley, and so she, you know, she she becomes a, a lady in waiting and gets a pension from Rupert's sister, effectively. You know, but but she always she always claimed that she married him, and there's no evidence. You know, so they married secretly, but there's no evidence to suggest that they actually did. Well, we, we, we're kind of running out of time. We sort of got to the end of his life just about there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is it, <laughs> did he have a, a, a death that was in any way interesting? Or? Well, uh, it depends if you find, like, pleurisy and the collapsing of the lungs interesting. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he, he had, like, I, I, don't think, I don't think anybody, I think it's fair to say no one has a nice death in Restoration England, because if, if war doesn't finish you off, some horrible disease does, however rich you are. Oh, oh! Can I just talk about that? He's one, you know. He's one. I mean, if you want evidence of the fact that the uh, embargo on being wounded was lifted after the death of uh, the dog, yeah, um, he did. He did start to accumulate injuries right, in every subsequent <laughs> war. He was as a pirate. He was shot in the chest with an arrow, like um, when he was in the Caribbean. I think it was cut, cut the wound out with a knife. Um, he he caught malaria and 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 sort of he, he just dabbled a little bit in fighting the Spanish for the, the King of France and got shot in the head. So so he was shot in the head and in typical Rupert fashion, just kind of you know got patched up and just shrugged it off. 
And, and what he found out was he got a depressed, he got depressed fractures, but he knocked a bit of his skull in. And 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 the wound got worse, progressively worse. And so when when he was when he was in the, when he was fighting his his incredible bloody violent naval battles in the, in the Dutch War, he started to suffer these incredible headaches and, and still commanded right. ships essentially with this bit of bone pressing on his brain. That should have killed him. Yeah. And 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 the way to fix it was an old fashioned trepanning operation basically where they yeah. shave his head drill into his skull remove the bit of skull completely without anesthetic people holding him down and then the first trepanning operation is a disaster so what's the remedy for a bad trepanning operation another trepanning operation so he has it done twice so he's so he's like a twice drilled man he survives all of that and then dies of pleurisy like at age 65 so by the standard of the time it was a it was a good death you're going to die of something and that's i think you might pr- prefer to be killed in battle but yeah yeah, 65 is a very decent yeah, age, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. for a soldier. So my yeah, goodness. And with, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a young actress as, you, as your lady. <laughs> as well, you know, I mean, living is, in Windsor Castle, you know, with your own little laboratory. There is nothing more restoration than this. You've got yeah, your lab, yeah, yeah. you're in a castle, you've got an actress. I mean, he's clearly a yeah, cousin yeah, of yeah, the king um, in, in every sense. Adam, thank you so much oh, for welcome. joining us and for potting condensing this incredible man um there's we clearly don't have enough time to talk on everything yeah. where can where can our listeners find you to find out more well um via the national civil war center they've got a website um uh face face i'm not i'm not a massive social media person but but on facebook if you if you want to find out what i'm up to in terms of my, mine and my brother's and occasionally my dad's sort of like ventures into sort of historic, it, it, the Fighting Nightingales, that's Nightingale with an N, not a K, uh, Fighting Nightingales Facebook page, uh, I think on ACAST and through the National Civil War Centre Learning Space and on YouTube, there's my podcast series I did over lockdown called 17th Century Tales. It's got a couple of episodes on Rupert that he kind of pops up periodically. And that, that's focusing on, that's fo- well, the, the jumping off point is like uh, Civil War in the East Midlands specifically nottinghamshire but we 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 can't we kind of we branch off and talk about everything and stuff and and, oh sorry some books on amazon under my name yeah amazing you are you yourself are a polymath sir thank you so much (laughs) for joining us and Lockie, thank you for for joining me in a 17th century war fest thank you for having me (laughs) thank you i was it was very 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 pleasurable thank you Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.